U.S. productivity is a big deal because... Over the long view of human history, productivity is the way that we collectively get wealthier. That's McKinsey partner Charles Atkins. He says if we want to grow wealthier and more prosperous as a nation... We really have to get more productive by generating more output with each hour that we work, which is really quite a simple insight, but a really important one because we very often get lost in the day-to-day dramas of the business cycle of employment and unemployment fluctuating over time. So what exactly is productivity? Charles says in economics, the definition is actually pretty simple. Productivity is a measure of output relative to some set of inputs. So it can be easiest understood in the context of labor productivity, where we look at what is the output per worker for each hour that they might work. So in a sort of economic context, you go to a cafe. How many lattes does a barista pull in an hour? Think about a car assembly plant. How many cars roll down the line complete in a day? That's McKinsey senior partner Olivia White. Think about productivity as doing more with less. Doing more with less is exactly what the McKinsey Global Institute's recent report, Rekindling U.S. Productivity for a New Era, examines. The report says in the face of workforce shortages, debt, inflation, and the energy transition, regaining historical rates of productivity growth would add a whopping $10 trillion to U.S. GDP, something the U.S. sorely needs. This is the McKinsey Podcast, where we help you make sense out of the world's toughest business challenges. Olivia, I was thinking a little bit about the community that I live in. I am based here in Massachusetts, and we've got biotech communities and huge healthcare systems. Thinking about how companies settle into particular cities, particular states, you know, how is that reflected in our research? So we looked at the productivity of all U.S. states, and there are 25 states that have below average productivity and below average productivity growth. And we find that there are effectively seven states that have above average productivity and have had above average productivity growth for the past 10 years or so. And I won't list 25, but I will list the six that are above average on both counts. Sure. And those are New York, Massachusetts, Texas, Colorado, Washington, California, and North Dakota. The broad dynamic here is that we have increasing divergence in the productivity level of a lot of different states across the U.S. That's a really important dynamic, and it's not one that we've observed historically. We looked at this, you know, somewhat puzzled because it, 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 you know, the U.S. is a unified market. You would expect that there would be, you know, mobility of labor, that ideas spread, that you would start to see productive practices spreading more easily. And that's not what we've seen. What are some of the factors that are kind of playing into this divergence. We haven't seen it before, so what's different now? Well, let me first bust a myth on technology. You might expect, oh boy, well, the states that have higher productivity and higher productivity growth, you know, maybe they're just the ones in tech. Not so. They don't have per se higher amounts of technology or other particularly productive sectors. Some of it very well may be that there is an increasing divergence between the companies that are most productive and the companies that are least productive. And so where you have states that have managed to attract and continue to foster more productivity among their companies, 
that can be sort of one of these reasons. But I, I will sort of just totally honestly say to you that some of this is an honest to goodness, real open question. There seems to be something about the leading states where they have been able to attract the right kinds of firms, attract the labor and the capital that those firms need. And those have created some really healthy dynamics in terms of productivity growth within those states. What are the implications for individual cities in a state like mine where productivity is high? Well, let me give you my answer, and you should absolutely also get Charles's view on this one. Mm. So there are a set of cities, and in fact, eight cities specifically in the U.S., where actual productivity is meaningfully higher today than it is elsewhere. And I will tell you that Boston is the eighth in that in that list. San Jose is actually the first, San Francisco the second. We've got to catch up. We've got to yeah. catch up. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, you know, just for, for people listening, there's Seattle, Houston, San Diego, yeah. Los Angeles, New York, and, and then Boston. Look, it's really clear that agglomeration effects can matter when you agglomerate or like get a bunch of stuff together in a city, you get a synergistic effect of one plus one being either a lot or at least a little more than two. And what we see here in the U.S. is that there's some cities where that's really true in spades and others which don't benefit from their cityness, if you will. Mm -hmm. But when it works, uh, this is where you're able to get a set of companies that actually interact and learn from one another, workers who actually work at different companies, but nevertheless are able to be, be better at what they do by virtue of their own interaction. Some of this is talent markets. Some of it is markets of actual customers who raise the bar on their expectations of the companies that they operate near. Um, a lot of it has to do with the sort of ferment of intangibles how people interact, can aid in innovation in various different sorts of fields. I think one of the interesting findings from what we've seen that's, that's also you know, noted in the academic literature is that the benefits seem to accrue not just to the firms like in, in the technology sector that we see in a place like San Francisco or San Jose, but actually spreads more broadly through the different sectors within those cities. And so it's not true to say that the success of California is a tech story uh, because there's actually multiple sectors that are doing quite well. But it is true to say that if you look at a city like San Jose or, or San Francisco, the story of technology and the story of agglomeration effects is very significant in driving the productivity growth that they've seen. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about which industries are growing, which industries are lagging. What What did we see? It's not sector level productivity that makes some states more productive, but there are some sectors that are simply more productive and faster growing than than others. And so let me call out a couple of categories. Information, which is the sort of official sector name, but it does include tech and most of what we would consider tech companies, finance and insurance, uh, mining, and wholesale trade. There's a set of sectors that are more productive than average, but where productivity is not growing so fast. So they're sort of more sluggish. And I'll call out particularly manufacturing, also real estate and rental and leasing. The final category I'll call out is the sectors that are lagging. So these are the ones where productivity is basically at a standstill, productivity growth, and it's relatively low. And this includes construction, and we've seen a lot about this in the press recently. It includes accommodation and food services. 
It includes transport and warehousing. It also includes healthcare. So looking specifically at the companies as engines of this economic productivity in the economy, what, what did we see? What did we see in the report? We found something pretty unusual that, that's there in the data that the U.S. collects. Individual companies within a given industry have widely varying levels of productivity and productivity growth. Take the manufacturing sector. The most productive companies are five times more productive than the bottom decile of companies in terms of productivity. So there's a huge amount that many companies can learn from the most productive. And in general, we find that that's true across industries. And that gap has actually been growing wider over time. And when you want to understand why is it that you know, our productivity growth rate is slowing down, it's actually not slowing down at the level of those top 10% of companies. They are actually growing uh, more productive at a rate that is at least in line with historical growth and depending on the sector, sometimes exceeding the historical growth rate. The question is more, you know, why is the other 90% falling further behind? And it's true that that is a key pattern to understand what it will take to unlock productivity growth because understanding the dynamics at a firm level by which some firms can take technology, take skilled labor, and derive business benefit from it actually is the key to, to understanding what is happening in productivity growth in the U.S. economy. Thinking about companies that are getting this right. Are there any examples that come to mind? There's a company by the name of Dot Foods. And what's interesting about them is that they're in a sector that is you know, viewed as a, a laggard sector in terms of productivity. They're in, in food services redistribution. They're a small company in contrast to a lot of the superstar firms that we hear talked about as being productivity leaders. And they're based mostly in rural areas uh, in contrast to many of the other firms in cities. And you know, uh, many of the same things that I just spoke about are inherent in their success story. They, you know, digitized early. They, you know, reconfigured their organization around their digital infrastructure and digital engagement of their customers. And they were able to find and attract scarce talent, even in the, the areas they were, that were able to really benefit from them. And they're now one of the largest food services redistributors in the United States. Olivia, what can companies do to improve productivity? Look, let me give a couple things sort of even from the CEO seat. So number one is prepare for the future war on talent. Uh, labor markets are going to be tight in some form for the foreseeable future, and human capital plays an incredibly important role. As you're looking look at hiring people for, for talent and whether or not they have relevant experience, don't focus just on credentials. Where does somebody have a degree from? Make sure once you bring people in, you're really investing in on the job training and rotation programs that build skills over time. And of course, it also matters a lot to make sure that you have policies on child care and elder care and parental leave so that you're not de facto excluding people and people of talent from the workforce, but we're really able to get the most out of everybody. Second broad thing is digital transformations are important. Commit to that transformation with real goals and shared accountability. Make sure that your investments aren't just in technology, but that you're investing in the research and development and the intangibles that actually allow you to create business operations that are designed around your goals and make the technology serve your goals rather than the other way around. 
you know, most firms have actually made investments in technology, but very few have actually gotten the benefits. Um, what we find is that the companies that are getting the benefits tend to do a couple of things right. They tend to be able to bring together skilled labor that's more suited to, to utilizing that technology. Or even more importantly, they reconfigure their organizations and the workflows and operations within their companies to take the benefit of both the technology and the skilled labor. Um, and then finally, they also will start to invest in reskilling programs and other form of intangible assets like your know, brand and, and advertising, etc., that will help them you know, really get the benefits of those investments in technology and people. And so, you know, when we see it as you know, what's holding many of those companies back, it's it's not for lack of trying to invest in technology, but in many cases, it's often for, you know, the inability to, to fully capitalize on those benefits by not necessarily reconfiguring those organizations or being able to attract the types of talent that you need to capitalize on them. And that is where we see a big opportunity for any business leader to start to make a real difference, not only to their firm, but in aggregate productivity as well. Technology and the efficient use of technology really matters. It's easy to say, and I hear a lot of, a lot of CEOs and executives say, we've invested a tremendous amount in technology, but we haven't seen it in our productivity or in our margins. And the fact is that in order to get the most out of technology, it's not just the widget. It's making sure that your processes and the way you train your people are tuned to the technology that you're putting in place. Did the research look at productivity across other countries? And what's the comparison there? Yeah, so this is an incredibly important question. And, you know, this, this research focused on the U.S., but we did look elsewhere for a baseline comparison. If you look at the U.S., productivity growth in the U.S. over the real long haul, so since World War II, has been at about 2.2% per year. Productivity growth over the past 15 years or so has been at about 1.4% per year. When we were talking a little earlier, we talked about how one thing productivity is important for is compensation. 1995 to 2005, growth in real compensation in the U.S., 1.9% per year. From roughly 2005 to 2019, growth in real compensation down by more than half oh, wow. to 0.7%. Wow. So this is why we care about the U.S. Now, how about others? We looked at a bunch of countries, particularly in Europe, to provide a bit of a, bit of a counterpoint. And the fact is they're having exactly the same sorts of struggles and the same sorts of issues. And in some instances, actually, those struggles are even, even more acute. So this is one of those places where um, we may look better than some of our European peers, as I say, not by a lot, but by a little bit. But none of us look very good. And none of us look very good, even by standards of what we were seeing between, you know, 1995 and 2005. It's interesting, Roberta, where the US has been somewhat different is that labor participation has been also declining in parallel, whereas in those other economies, labor participation has, has held steady or in some cases improved. We have a double problem. Not only is our productivity growth declined, but the number of workers that we have in the economy is slowing because our labor force participation rate is declining. And our view is that those problems are somewhat linked. Solving the productivity challenge will allow us to create higher paying jobs and will create, in, in many cases, more opportunities 
for workers to get to um, jobs that offer them uh, more professional advancement, you know, higher salaries in more productive settings. And so our view is that if we can solve the labor productivity challenge, we will also help solve some of the labor participation challenge that we also face. Olivia, any thoughts on how companies can improve their productivity around uh, this idea of green transition or the use of green technology? It is going to be important to make sure that people are thinking about capital allocation processes to enable rapid moves as green technology comes online, and it will, and to also set long-term plans for net zero transitions to make sure that business units and employees have time to adjust, because a lot of these transitions actually themselves will mean that people have to work in new ways. And then just final call, there are a lot of things companies can do to work with others around them, so private sector leaders, but working with public sector and social sector to actually shape the local economic context. So how do we think, for example, about local needs in terms of talent or in terms of infrastructure? How do we think about the way that suppliers and customers work together, maybe even an ecosystem like forms that can help generate some of the local agglomeration benefits and co-innovation um, on the part of different companies, different firms, government that are in sort of similar locations. Olivia, I'm curious how to think about it sort of at a 40,000 foot level, like how should we think about productivity and, and potential benefits going forward? Well, you know, putting a number on something at the 40,000 foot level is both dangerous, but also also important. <laughs> and we, we tried, right? So what we, what we asked ourselves is, suppose that productivity growth in the U.S. returned to its long term since World War II average. Suppose it went from the current roughly 1.4% per year to growing at 2.2% mm -hmm. per year. And we find that that is equivalent to uh, $10 trillion in cumulative GDP added between 2021, which is where our sort of data transition started, and, and 2030. So $10 trillion more than we'd see otherwise over a period of 10 years. It's massive. It's huge, yeah. And you know, to put a, a bit more of a human face on it, um, what does ten trillion dollars mean? Well, that's roughly fifteen thousand dollars of additional output per household in twenty thirty, and you know, five thousand dollars stimulus check, three or five thousand dollars stimulus check. That was a lot of money. Productivity ultimately is the engine of economic growth, but it is also the only way that things like real wages can grow over time. It's the way that we make sure that everybody has enough. It's the way that we make sure that that happens, including in a world where we have headwinds of various sorts. So as people are getting older and we have to provide for more people past retirement age, mm -hmm. as they're potentially macroeconomic headwinds, as energy, as we're going to need to spend in order to make our way to net zero. All of these are reasons that we need to have a productive economy in order to achieve our goals, but also sustain growth. This has been a terrific conversation. I am now bound and determined to help the city of Boston move up our list. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. It was really fun to chat. Of course, Roberta. There's U.S. productivity and there's our own personal productivity, which can be hampered when we're burned out. Jennifer Moss, author of The Burnout Epidemic, says sustainable wellness means companies have to make structural, not surface, changes.
I look at burnout prevention being an ecosystem that all needs to be working together to actually become eventually solved. Before we can eradicate burnout, we need to have the systems and policies in place that are not so focused on self-care, but more focused on the root issues, the root causes of burnout, which are way further upstream than just, you know, what we're doing right now, which is wellness technology, subsidized gym memberships, yoga, breathing, all of those things are so great if we're looking to optimize. But when you look at 85% of the global workforce feeling like their well-being has declined, those things aren't actually going to work. Right now, it's just too disparate, two groups, us and them, you know, trying to solve for burnout. And that's why it's failing. We need to be looking at this as a crisis and stopping and pausing and saying, why are we still doing things that we did March 17th, 2020? This is endemic at this point. So we need to start creating more sustainable ways of working in this moment. That means, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours of video conferencing is not sustainable. What I keep seeing here are these big declarations from companies. You know, we gave a week off to our burnout employees. There's so much irony to that. I mean, you've burned them out, so you're giving them a week off. Have you changed any of the workload so that when they go back, that they're not dealing with the debt, essentially, that they've created by being away for a week? The first thing that we should be doing is asking, you know, how do people feel about the holiday party? How do people feel about, you know, this yoga that we're doing right now? How do people feel about this app that we gave you to help you meditate? And yet you're working 70 hours a week. Even just being able to talk about mental health at work is a better perk than helping you to meditate when you're really mentally unwell. Positive gossip is one of the greatest interventions that we could be using inside of our organizations. We have social contagions in that that could be anything from loneliness, divorce to, to happiness and gratitude. We should be saying, hey, you know that presentation that you did last week? It was so good. And I actually took these two key points and I brought it back to my team and I actioned it. And what I saw was really valuable. Like I noticed my team working differently. They were more collaborative. So thank you for that. That's showing that you are empathetic. That's showing that you listened. That's showing that you're actually bringing this into the fold and into your work and it's making it better. I mean, that for that person has such long lasting impacts on them from a from a standpoint of their own sense of self-efficacy. And then that just continues to become this contagion effect, this network effect of high productivity, high sense of self-efficacy and value. And then every boat is lifted when we behave that way. So understanding and really provoking people to think wow, I as a leader inside of this organization, I have a responsibility to the people in my company who are working hard to try to show up to work in a place that's healthy. The last thing I want to do is make them unhealthy. Thanks so much for listening to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. Find us on McKinsey.com. We'll have a transcript of this episode up shortly. And check out the McKinsey Insights app where you can find this podcast and other helpful content updated daily. And if you would, we'd love for you to leave a rating and a review. We'll see you in two weeks.